0: Welcome. No, no, you know what? We're not even going to do it like this tonight. In honor of SmackDown's 1,000th episode, this is how we're going to open up this wrestling show. Let me see if I can get this right. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, sideline junkies, proudly bring to you it's tag team champions of the world. The big guy, KG, the smart mark. The done. we are the
1: Sideline
0: Junkies.
1: And if you're not down with that, we got two words for you. Suck it! That's how you open a daggone show. What's up, bro? What's happening, man? Hey, man, I'm ready. Smackdown 1000 coming up this Tuesday. So what better way to honor the rock show, the People show, than to uh, talk about some memorable moments and key events and stuff like that from uh, our recollection of SmackDown's illustrious history.
0: 19 years. Can you believe it? No. I I, I was thinking about it. I said that show started in '99. It it started, you know, right after some people that, you know, belong to the show graduated high school. I don't know who that is, but you know me. I I just graduated high school a couple years ago.
1: That was crazy, man. I was just a wee little mark back then. (laughs)
0: <laughs> I still remember the first episode. I remember when it was a special. Mm-hmm. I remember the first official episode. Uh, the first official episode was the the first time that uh, Mr. Hunter Hurst Helmsley, a.k.a. Triple H, he debuted with the championship because he had won it the Monday before. That's right. The first episode was broadcast from Kansas City.
1: Big moves back then, man. Big moves.
0: Yeah, I still remember the drama that led up to his first uh title run and it shaped that first episode of SmackDown because it had you on your seat. and Well, no, it actually had you off your seat. I mean, it had you on the edge of it, but it, you were off of it.
1: Yeah, but not even that. Just the fact of the title came from the People's Champs. That's the first uh, show that was coined after somebody else's catchphrase. So that that that's just a big moment, and everybody was just anticipating and foaming at the mouth for The Rock to make his appearance. So when he did, you know he didn't disappoint. You know, it, it had to be that way, and it had to be awesome. It had to be electrifying, and SmackDown has been electrifying us for all this time.
0: Indeed. Uh, I'm just I'm geeked up about the 1,000th episode. This is the same way I get geeked up every year about um, when they do the WWE Raw Homecoming. Yep. That's not
1: too far away.
0: Yeah. All the stars are coming back. I've, I've heard so far uh, Evolution is going to be in full. Uh, I'm not sure who else, but I know we're going to get a couple of surprises, and I just yeah. can't wait to see who comes.
1: Well, you know, that was a little bit of a backstage funny controversy because because Batista was actually getting a lot of texts like, are you going to be there? Are you going to be there? And finally he just texted like, hey, uh, Triple H would be kind of cool if I was there since it's in my hometown. <laughs> so finally, they booked uh, Evolution showing up. You know, Nate, anytime he has an opportunity to, to get on camera and, and do his thing, he's going to do his thing. But the question is, is it going to be Evolution just celebrating Evolution, or is it going to be Evolution celebrating the return that nobody thought was ever going to happen, but it's really happening uh, with Shawn Michaels coming back and Triple H as DX and use that as a springboard to drive with uh, Undertaker and Kane showing up and interjecting themselves into that and beating down Evolution. So yeah. It could be uh, a work going towards uh, the pay-per-view of Crown Jewel or it could be just an awesome moment of seeing true Evolution and maybe using it as a springboard to catapult somebody else on the SmackDown roster to show the next generation because at this moment evolution is a generation behind i know it's kind of weird to think about it that way but they are a generation behind so what superstar could it be aj styles um that would be the next catapult aka the mirror image of a randy orton if you know they're going to allow that to happen or randy will allow that to happen with his ego to show the next evolution of uh professional wrestling juggernauts that have come into the SmackDown world. So it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. But if you're ready, man, we can jump into these uh, crazy moments. I got them in order, at least in my order, of awesomeness. But we can just talk about them and shoot the breeze on some crazy stuff that happened. Hey, let's get
0: to it.
1: All right, so the first one is always a great, awesome, extreme memory in the back of my head because it is just so messed up. And all I have to say to you, and I know you will chime in on it, is Big Boss Man They not killed Big Show's dad and show is riding on the daggone coffin. <laughs> oh, my <God. laughs> the Insidiousness. Oh, you know, you're going to a man's funeral <laughs> to cause some stuff. You know, Ray Trailer is like, come on, man, I love it. Cobb County, Georgia, baby. Uh, oh just going God. down there to mess with the Big Show's dad that he just killed off. Was that, that, awesome that was an awesome moment, man.
0: That was an underrated feud right there.
1: Yes, it was. Because yes, you oh,
0: you Prince Albert and that uh, and they, they just oh, man, when, when he had the the, the the hidden camera video of Big Show's mom telling him that he's the best and that's not really your child and just he used it to see the big guy Paul White break down and ugly cry like that.
1: Yep. And not uh, only that, That was Paul White at his prime as a true big man coming off of WCW as the giant and big boss man still playing himself. And I know that sounds kind of crazy. but What I mean by that is he's been he was consistent as the top heel um, in reference to his character from beginning to end. So, you know, those two juggernauts clashing together like that, man, was that was major for amazing TV messed up. (laughs) <laughs> but amazing TV at the time
0: I, so, I absolutely love that I mean, I, but yeah. the bad part about it I actually thought it was real But don't tell
1: anybody Don't feel bad, we all were <laughs> marks for that That was strong kayfabe days back then So you just sitting there like What? No! You're like, I'm emotional because Dick's Show' dad died Then Oh man, it was just a lot It was an awesome hot mess but nothing more hotter than this next part. This next memory. <laughs> and this is another one where it's just, all I can do is at this moment is just think of just singing, You look so good to me. Billy and Chuck's commencement ceremony on SmackDown with Eric Bischoff under makeup as the, the, the commencement uh, priest, or whatever you want to call it, um, hosting that ceremony. And just the hot mess of like, are we about to see a, a gay wedding here? What, what the heck is going on for <laughs> it to not happen? And Rico is all for it and stuff. And you're just like, I'm uncomfortable, but I can't stop watching this train wreck right now. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and Rico tried to push them so far. Oh, and yeah. no.
1: It. You're gonna do it, nah, man. <laughs> that was that was some interesting TV. And just to throw the caveat out there for those listening, as we give these little nuggets of SmackDown this that you may actually see on the show, because they're just some great moments, especially as we get into the upper echelon and the end of this list. Uh, go back, YouTube it, watch this stuff because it is worth watching. It's just great moments in WWE history not just from the standpoint of, okay, it's just something funny to look at, but to listen to the commentary and what was allowable on WWE programming back then, what they were actually able to talk about and say versus exactly what is a lot more streamlined now, just incredible the lengths that they were able to go during the Attitude Era as it started to evolve over that period before we went PG. So that was a funny one. But then another funny one, was actually a little bit more recent and it made the list because it was just something that they did just as a spoof, but it was just so good and it was so poignant that it actually led up to a wedding, well, almost a wedding, but a wedding proposal that we thought would never happen. And it was all, in my opinion, off the backs of how well the Miz and Maurice were doing a spoof of John Cena and Nikki from Total Bellas that set up And Miz, to my opinion, still doesn't get enough credit for it. The ability for John Cena to do the proposal and to have the match at WrestleMania with Nikki that before wasn't really going to be happening to that level and that magnitude if it wasn't for, in my opinion, Miz and Maurice really doing such a great job and playing their part as heels to how people felt about Cena at the moment. And then Nikki was just kind of like along for the ride. Mm.
0: I, I, I I wonder what happened between him and Nikki. I thought they were just like it was going to be so much different between them two.
1: Just- yeah, I, I, the wedding was the easy part. It's the kids. I, I really not to get in somebody's business like that on that level, but it's something about having a child that Cena is just not willing to commit to. He's willing to commit to the marriage. That's easy because all that is is we live together. We live together anyway. We share stuff. We were sharing stuff anyway. As long as I don't cheat, then we won't have to worry about, you know, there being a divorce and we're good to go. But it's something about that baby part that is the disconnect. And at first I thought it was a work for, you know, just promoting the new season of Total Bellas and giving that cliffhanger because they try to mix reality with non-reality. But I haven't seen any type of crossover or or change in real life versus what is happening on wwe programming and total bellas especially with cena spending so much time over in china with jackie chan and the bellas are now back on the road that's a world apart literally so it's kind of hard to to put two and two together to be planning a wedding and doing all these things you know so it'll be interesting to to see how this unfolds i would like to see them back together because I'm not going to lie to you from the, the Nikki standpoint, who are you going to meet at a level enough that's going to be able to provide for you like a John Cena? That's uh, a lot of pressure for a dude to live up to. And we're not talking about in the bedroom. We're just talking about in general.
0: <laughs> see, I'm, I'm sitting here thinking now, I'm like, shoot, who, I mean, unless you, you know, you, if Randy wasn't married. She you, you
1: might have to date a, a rapper or something. I mean, you know, <laughs> <laughs> like, She may be the next Becky with the good hair for real. <laughs> like, uh, you know, hey, hey, Beyonce, she can beat you. I, I want to tell you,
0: <laughs> and that's absolute truth, there.
1: Yeah. So that that was my next one on the list was uh, that more recent moment from SmackDown history. But now we're gonna take it back to an opportunistic moment, all the way back to May 11th of 2007, when we're talking about a nice little briefcase by a guy who really committed one of the biggest crimes that really was covered up uh, in SmackDown WWE history um, with Edge cashing in the Money in the Bank briefcase against The Undertaker when he was wrestling Mankind. You can't beat that. I mean, it's just, you heard the theme music, you saw Edge run down, take the briefcase, bang, 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 and there you go. So that opportunist. Yeah. You know, that the beginning of... You know the the trend of cashing the money in the bank briefcase at the right place, the right time, and you get it. And
0: and that's how it's supposed to be done. You got a guaranteed contract. So I don't care if you've been bloodied and beaten. If that's my opportunity, I know you're wounded. You can't get up. I'm coming to cash in that money in the bank.
1: Oh yeah. And for those that was wondering what I was alluding to and the lead up to that, I'm gonna paint this picture for you because it is messed up. And then WWE messed up at the same time. You got Lita, Matt Hardy. Lita, V1. Lita, Matt Hardy, dating. Matt, injured. Lita, rolling with Edge. Lita, Edge, involved in some hot mess. Matt Hardy comes back and is like, yo, dude, you dating my girl. WWE like, yeah, we're going to fire this guy, uh, Matt Hardy, because he may cause a problem. Lita and Edge still on TV, slop and spit, hardcore. The rest of the wrestling world is like, if y'all don't rehire Matt Hardy back, he did nothing wrong. So Matt Hardy comes back, and then you have Hardy versus Edge over Lita, who's now no longer dating Matt Hardy, truthfully. So now they're just battling and all involved in real kayfabe storylines, to which led to Edge, Marion, Beth Phoenix, and Matt Hardy, Marion Reeve, and then the rest is history. But that was one of those kind of glossed over, really messed up real life moments. Like, how are you going to take the man, girl, while he injured in North Carolina? And then you got his brother Jeff over here like, should I say something? Should I not say something? (laughs) But the the bad part about it is that was his best friend. Yes. Messed up on every level. And then they just fired Matt Hardy because they thought he was really probably going to kill Edge. And back then, V one I might have (laughs) done that. I don't know. But I just wanted to throw that out there for those wondering exactly what I was kind of dancing around. But why the heck not? We'll put that out there.
0: And to this day, I believe they are still friends.
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, hey, it it is what it is because Lita's no longer in the the relationship equation. Edge is good. Matt is great. And that's where it is. He he married my girl
0: and took her away from wrestling.
1: (laughs) Well, she's back now, and she'll be announcing, like I
0: said, nah, the nah, last nah couple
1: Uh,
0: weeks. uh. Uh-uh. I think she's. I, I mean, we jumping a little bit off subject, but Beth Phoenix, Nia Jax, uh, 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 uh Charlotte, Becky Lynch, uh, Amber, Moon. Amber Ember Moon. Oh my God, like that right there, uh, 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 uh Natalia. Like, get all of them together in one. I would love to see a women's Royal Rumble and you give me all those great women, and oh, my goodness. <sighs> Jeez.
1: is coming.
0: let a little Trish Stratus in there. I'm, I'm, I'm all right.
1: I just said it the past couple weeks. Support, support, support. Order the WWE Network. If you have it already, watch Evolution in the first 24 hours of airing so that way they can get the proof and the pudding that women should have their own show. Period. That's all we need. And then we'll have best full-time commentator probably with Lita because those two have been doing it enough times on guest spots here and there. And then maybe you could throw in uh, somebody else uh, to help out with that. It could be Renee Young or something, but it needs to be an all women's um, commentating team. And then you can just let it grow from there. And then that'll give the extra belts and and all that stuff can happen. You bring back Aubrey. One name you did forget and you didn't mention was Victoria. And we're keeping our fingers crossed that she is at Evolution in the Battle Royal because if you have some key matches, there's some left outs that you need to put in that was not in the last Battle Royal, Victoria. Because Lord, oh Lord, that widow's peak, mm, mm, mm. Mm, 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 have mercy on my soul. <clears throat> and speaking of have mercy, let's talk about the next moment, which is the early days of Eat Sleep conquer, Repeat, the early days of Suplex City when it was kind of like Suplex Township or something, and that was Brock Lesnar versus Hulk Hogan, August 8th of 02 on his road to defeating and fighting The Rock for the championship. What a moment, what a match, a young, hungry Brock Lesnar out there trying to kill Hulk Hogan. <laughs> <laughs> is the best way to put it, because we know Brock was still just strength and muscle and, and you know, he's just manhandling in and, and, and a monstrous way, uh, opposed to the Brock we see now, which is a little bit more streamlined in his movements, even though it looks like he's destroying somebody with the suplexes. But if you really pay attention, I mean, he's really doing it in a way that is not as impactful, even though it hurts like hell.
0: It, it, it really does. Anybody that believes a suplex doesn't hurt, let me suplex you now. I guarantee you, you'll feel it.
1: Mm-hmm. So that was a big one. And then the next big one was uh, leading up to which hopefully will be a great movie or another reboot or continuation that'll be coming out, I believe, next year or within the next year and a half. And that was your boy. We talked about him earlier, Senor Triple H versus The Governator. Back in nineteen ninety nine. <laughs> he had all those great guest spots. Hurry. You know, that was uh, their their attempt at really doing the Austin and uh, Austin and Mike Tyson esque type of big class where Triple H got in the face of the governor and Arnold just pretty much decked him really hard. And Triple H sold it really well <laughs> <laughs> and put over Arnold. A lot. So that was pretty cool uh, to have that happen in California back in 99.
0: Let's not forget, they awarded Arnold a honorary championship that night.
1: That's right. And Arnold is still a fan to this day. So if we're talking about Triple H, we might as well talk about DX. We might as well talk about transportation. We might as well talk about the DX Express. And if we talk about the DX Express, that lovely bus that was really awesome and, and decked out and DXed them, we kind of have to also talk about how it got blown the hell up by the rattlesnake, Stone Cold Steve Austin, and the next memorable moment, which is guaranteed to be shown at the 1000 show. as a quick clip on that. Stone Cold Steve Austin just destroyed their bus while DX is in the ring, and everybody is just marking the heck out. Over this, I mean, that was one of the, the biggest things that Austin has done since driving a beer truck up to the ring and spraying everybody down with beer.
0: <laughs> and if I'm not mistaken, he destroyed that bus right hand DC, correct? Ah, uh,
1: yup. Would have loved to have been uh, there when they they filmed that one because that was pretty interesting back then that they had pre pre taped that. So that way they wouldn't have any issues with all the folks in the traffic and stuff like that around. But yeah, that that was a big deal right there. That was when uh, hometown area of D.C. was getting all the love. We already had the Starcade happening every year. And then uh, the Great American Bash was happening annually. And WWE would come through and make sure they made a mark between D.C. and Baltimore and Virginia and um, New York, naturally. So that, that's when the run in that that, that territory out though, the old T-word out there, was just phenomenal. Now it's gotten bigger to where you have to do things in these bigger stadiums, which is going to be interesting to see how Crown Jewel is set up in a stadium. I'm sorry, not Crown Jewel, the Warrior Rumble in a, a larger arena. That's going to be a long way to run down to get into the ring. But those are some good old days, man. Hmm. So, talking remember, me. Go ahead, I'm sorry.
0: Long, long journeys, I mean, we, we, we've seen that. That means you just got, you get to profile a little bit more in your interest when you got them long journeys down the ramp like that.
1: Yeah, but it also means that they may potentially take it from every 60 seconds, to every 90 seconds again, so that way you have a little bit more time in the actual match to compensate for the longer rundown. But then again, it's a WWE network, so they can run five hours if they wanted to and it not be a problem because they've got the time.
0: Trendy, the that's The joys of having your own network
1: And then there's also Some joys of having your own Celebration on Smackdown And one of the most memorable Celebrations happened on February 19th Of 2004 When the only one The liar, the cheater The stealer, Mr. Latino Heat had his championship Celebration after breeding Brock Lesnar At No Way Out and that was one hell of a, a Latino fight. I guess that's not even a word, but Latino fight, low riding, streaming. It was it was insanely awesome. Like I was ready to go to South of the Border so I can say Ola. Like what the hell was Conan talking about? that's how awesome that championship celebration was back then. You know, just how he beat Brock A, but B, the fact that he was just champ. It was amazing, man. It was great to watch. I marked out hard on that.
0: Man, I see stuff like that. I mean, you already miss Eddie, but you miss him a lot more when you go back and you look at things like that. Yep, you miss Eddie a lot. Just, I mean, the, the ring technician that he was, the 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 character that he was. I mean, the 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 man Eddie Guerrero. We already know he was from stories. He was fun to be around, mm. but watching him in the ring and just watching his character and 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 what he did stuff like that, it makes you really miss Eddie, man. And I'm yeah. proud to say share birthday with Eddie. So I'm, I'm proud to say that.
1: That's, that's awesome, man. And, and Vicky Guerrero said it best. He had a smile that would just light up the room. And you, you saw that there at the championship celebration. Somebody that you never or he never thought that he would be able to transition into WWE and will get the push like he did and to have the opportunity to become champion. And for that to really happen, and it happened in a way that was Eddie and not just a, a generic way or, hey, this was happening, it, it fit the character, it fit the bill, Brock played it up. I mean, it all worked well. And then you had the celebration that, that culminated that. That was a big move for the culture because it sprungboard a bunch of other things and a bunch of other uh, uh, performers that came down the road after him. And it was a great throwback and a great homage to all the work that was put in in WCW, ECW, down in Mexico. I mean, it was a lot of heritage and awesomeness that was put into that, man. And it was just great to see uh, one of those things. I would say it was, in my opinion, equivalent to when Ron Simmons won the WCW championship. That's how much that meant to the Latino culture, in my opinion.
0: 1990 in Baltimore.
1: You know it, man. Awesome moment. Forever etched in what I call and will always call the Baltimore Arena. Now, you you you
0: being the smart mark. You been the Don. Who do you beat for the championship in 90?
1: Oh, God damn. Why do you to ask me one of them questions? <laughs> I, just, I just covered that many moons ago. Uh oh, it's not. I'm really brain farting on that. My you got me, man. You got me on that one. <laughs> I'm all into the, how am I going to transition into your boy? And then you, you done pull that. Uh, I mean, Go ahead and lay it on me, man. I, I look horrible right now. You, make <laughs> if, you got me.
0: If I didn't pull it on you, I mean, what would have happened?
1: Yeah yeah, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. I feel so bad, man. Oh, I'm sorry. So it was 1992.
1: Yeah, it was 92. August of 92.
0: He'd be Big Van beta.
1: That's right. I had to go back to my notes, man. like, God dang. I'm sorry, Ron. <laughs> Wait, actually, hold on. Let me, let me do it correct. Damn. <laughs> you know what? Yeah, you caught me mix, mid-segue, man. Mid-segue. Now, how am I supposed to... You know what? Actually, thank you for that. Thank you. Because now, towards the fact that I was stumped in mid-thought, I have some ruthless aggression towards myself, or more so the next memorable moment, which was on June 27th of 2002 when my boy or your boy with a bunch of hair now out there in China, John Cena came in and confronted Kurt Angle and had one of the most memorable, uh, correction, let me rewind that, when a prototype came out and confronted Kurt Angle (laughs) and like, what are you doing here? You know, I'm here and I got ruthless aggression You know, Really, what I call, not not so much um, Drew McIntyre, but John Cena is Vince McMahon's chosen boy and hand-picked boy. But that was a a memorable moment right there to see the, the physical manifestation of what Vince was talking about at that moment and ruthless aggression. And for Kurt Angle to do the honors of making his young upstart kid look great, flow great. And then that catapulted us into word life. This is basic thugonomics. <laughs> basic thugonomics, word life. And then from there, we got hustle, loyalty, and respect. And now the six moves of doom.
0: <laughs> I, I, I was a student of thugonomics at that time, so I'm not even, I can't knock.
1: <laughs> Who didn't want to get, I don't want a dookie chain. No, I need any of that stuff. I want to get this chain off this guy's fence so that way I could put a lock on it and beat John Cena. (laughs) What kind of demographic and dynamic did we just go from right there, from the culture of what we were used to, To No, I just want the chain. You want a gold chain? Heck no, man. I just want a chain. How much is it? (laughs) And a padlock. Let's go get it. (laughs) Oh, man. He sold a lot of damn jerseys. That's all I got to say about that.
0: His jersey game was sick.
1: It was. It was. And he's still rocking the shoe game hard, even though now he's kind of turned it, toned it down a little bit. But, you know, he was keeping some fresh kicks, to which now they just made for him instead of him just wearing them. Shay McMahon has always been, you know, consistent with his Jays, though. So it doesn't matter what it is. Shay McMahon is always coming out there, representing for the Jordans all day long. So <laughs> we talked about my man earlier. But you can't talk about Latino heat without talking about, in my opinion, one of the strongest angles that left you so uncomfortable, but at the same time you had to watch. But you were like, should I be calling somebody about this? Should there be some type of protection order put in? And what I'm talking about is when Eddie Guerrero turned heel on Rey Mysterio which led to a ladder match for custody of Ray Mysterio's son in 2005 at SummerSlam. Poor Dominic.
0: <laughs> it the hell out of me. I lied to you not because I was like, I'm not used to this, Eddie. I'm not used to this, Eddie. I'm not used to this, Eddie.
1: But I got to keep watching is Eddie. And then, Ray, what are you doing? I thought this was true. And I'm like, man, wait how are you going to let your wife have sex with Eddie Girl? That's not it. That's not your kid, right? Y'all two look alike, but then again, we need to call Maury. We need to really get this settled at this point. I was ready to pay for the flights for them to go up there as a kid. Like, we got to find some money or something. Somebody's got to tell us if he's a father. Mm. And then to have a ladder match for custody of your own kid. (laughs) Big ups uh, to Dominic, I'm quite sure. He's a nice young adult now, and probably doesn't get recognized because he's grown up a little bit, but big ups to him because he was a really big component of that. When he was there live and he was all involved and not sure. And all that, he did a great job of making that angle happen in the midst of it. Cause that was serious and emotional and, and all that stuff wrapped up in a one. And, you know, that was one of those times where, The the kayfabe was so strong that you couldn't find a hole in it to pull it out. And we didn't have the internet and there were no smart marks back then outside of Bill. After, big ups. But, um, you know, it was just well done, well scripted. And I know I'm going to get in a lot of trouble for saying this, but well acted. (laughs) Um, and, And it was just a great angle.
0: One thing you see. It was so much kayfabe that you couldn't, you couldn't, I did not know that it was, that that it wasn't real. I, I swore up and down. I was like, wow, they're going through this on TV. Like, you bring this to work. Yep. Like, this, like Young
1: and the Reckless up <laughs> in there, are, man.
0: And You know what? I, that's what I used to call Raw and Smackdown. I said, people, well, how can you watch it? I said, this is so bobbing for me. Follow the storylines and you'll keep up with everything. You'll be like, oh, I get it now. That's mm-hmm. all it is.
1: So let's talk about getting it. And if you're going to talk about getting it, and you're going to talk about getting got, then we got to talk about a moment where two people that were juggernauts got it so big that on June 12, 2003, they broke the damn ring. The suplex heard around the world when my man, the beast incarnate, suplexed the big show, and that cage imploded. I'm sorry, not the case. The, the the ring imploded was was awe-inspiring, and what made it even bigger than that before we got to Helen Cell and he killed him. By God, he's broken in half. You Need to go back and listen to Taz's reaction to that was pure gold. And I was like, oh man, that that was liquid lightning in a bottle, my friend. That moment right there was just awe-inspiring. It was insane. You never saw anything like that. It made sense. It was a gimmick. But at the same time, it was freaking awesome. Now they've done it a couple more times. And, you know, was like, okay. And that was pretty awesome. But when you just heard it and you just saw it, and it could have went wrong in so many ways back then because it was uncharted territory. So if a buckle popped the wrong way or something like that, the ref, you know, the way he fell and was – it was just chaos, man. By God, that was chaos.
0: But you know something? Most people don't realize how big of a feat that was. You, you got Brock 6'3", at the time, what, about 300? Big show, 7'1", 505. For a man of that size to take a suplex like that off the top rope, but for a man like Brock to do it, this wasn't no. I'm standing on the second or first rope. No, no, no. He stood on the top and delivered that. Went over. Oh my goodness.
1: And protected show because like that's another thing. Could have went wrong. That could have been a broken neck because that's a lot of force. Yeah. Landing. So if Brock didn't protect show and if show didn't protect Brock, then that could have been more breakage uh, of the physical nature opposed to just. The ring being imposed upon. So, those two things together was insane. But <clears throat> not as insane. I know you would think that this would be number one on my list. And we got two more after this. But not as insane as what happened on 429.99. And that being what we already talked about earlier, the actual debut of SmackDown. So, we, we went into. Some of the major moments of SmackDown earlier, so we won't relive that, but I just wanted to put that date out there 429.99 has been a long run and still going strong. So, uh, to be the B show and at some points the A show, in reference to storyline and script for a long period of time, especially when Paul Heyman had his two cents involved in it, um, and we saw some memorable moments going through, especially with um, Undertaker and his transition we've seen the ECW, WCW invasions come through SmackDown and the Rock has just run ramp shot all over SmackDown and then SmackDown also in his next memorable moment which I know they will definitely talk about was one of the first large public gatherings that was also televised to happen after 9-11 so Vince McMahon's momentous speech talking about how as the country we will go on from the, the tyranny that we just experienced back in 9-11 for that show to go on and for everybody to perform and for the entire roster to be standing there on the stage and to get the salute and for Lillian to sing and everything was happening I mean that was huge for just life in general, because I, I was in D.C., um, and I heard uh, the plane go over and hit the Pentagon, because I was downtown at ESPN Zone, uh, just getting off at that point, and then discovering all the chaos that happened. When I went back in, like, what the hell was that, to find out what happened at uh, the Twin Towers, and I was struggling to catch and talk to some of my friends that I'd open up other locations with uh, up in New York to make sure that they were okay and they were happy, uh, that their family was safe and you know all that stuff so they could contact people and just chaotic. And then not only that, just to be on an airplane having to fly out to open another location just two weeks later and to see the most quiet air flight or to be a part of the most quiet air flight I've ever been on but also the one of the few times I've ever experienced where black, white, Asian, Muslim, whatever, everybody just looking at each other with the, the nod, like if it's going down, we all got this, you know, the unity of it. That, that, that's a lot of stuff that was going on in the world at that moment emotionally. You didn't know how to, what's the best way I could put it, how to express some of that tension and, and anxiousness but to sit down or to be there at that event and to have the WWE perform and then see it and you for that two hour period, you're back into normalcy, you're back into the fantasy and the awe and, and to see everybody give it their all that night. And it was about the entire show being the best show that it could be, not one up in the next or match to match, but just to, to have a moment for the world to take a break from the crazy that that was a big thing that could not have happened. But, you know, the show must go on just as heaven forbid, the day that we lose a McMahon again, the show will still go on and not be a dedication show, which in all rights, it should be the one time raw doesn't air, but it will be, you know, another show must go on period. So that that was huge for that moment. Uh, epic moment all the way around the board. I agree with that, man. But then, I got one more moment. In this moment, we were talking, I mentioned ESPN Zone. I actually got to see in two perspectives. The first perspective was because at that moment, uh, working for ESPN, we had the luxury of tapping into every satellite, pretty much, there was from all the sports feeds and networks and everything when they were airing it or recording or or broadcasting, whatever it may have been. And we kind of knew exactly what channel we could tie into to catch Smackdown as it was taped. And what that meant is we heard and was able to witness the matches happen. We were able to hear a lot of the calling and the preparation of the different segments and we were able to see the dark matches the entire thing so we're talking what was a two hour show four hours of content that we were able to be privy to and what is leading into what i call one of the most memorable moments in smackdown history was witnessing the live reshoots and recuts uh that happened of the booker versus stone cold supermarket fight of doom (laughs) <laughs> back on December 13th of 2001 <laughs> versus what was aired and I gotta tell you it was one of the most funniest moments because there several times they had to redo some of those spots because they didn't understand what the hell Booker was saying <laughs> and there were certain things Booker had to say that he finally got out but he was laughing so much because they were having so much fun they were like Booker We can't understand what you're saying. You're going to have to take that shot again. (laughs) And they're like, oh, my God. So they were reshooting and going back and forth before they finally aired this thing and pieced it together to be what it was. But those two guys had so much fun making that segment. We had so much fun just laughing, trying to figure out what the hell was going on and just seeing this stuff happen as they were uh, recording, shooting it up in the air. It was ridiculous, man. But that was one of the best segments, in my opinion, that has ever aired to this day on SmackDown. It cannot be duplicated. It cannot be replicated. It cannot be, in my opinion, topped by anybody because it was just chaotic. And also you had the X factor of them being in a supermarket and other people still coming in and out of the scene wondering what's going on because the market is open. So they're here filming it in the midst of people coming through and they're having to go around people a couple of times so that way they can have the the proper shot and everything and people just going around getting their produce (laughs) wondering what the heck is going on. So that spawned another reshoot. So that is my number one right there just because I had a chance to see both sides of it, the unedited version and the edited version. And if they ever show that, I guarantee you that will at least be an hour's worth of special that you could just laugh your behind off because I like, said, Stone Cold and, and Booker T had so much fun laughing and what can we do next? Yeah, let's do that. And it just went back and forth with that, man. It was amazing to, to partake in.
0: It's funny you say that about ESPN Zone, because at that same, around that time, 2000s, uh, rabbit wrestling fans that worked there with us mm-hmm. and that Tape on when working on a Wednesday morning was the greatest thing in the world because before the startup meeting, you always got to watch SmackDown. Yep. And you knew a day before what that what was gonna happen and everything. It, that right there made my time there even better than what it already was. Big up to my man Travis. And never, never, ever, ever fail. Before we did the rundown of all the scores from whatever happened. No, no, got to watch SmackDown first.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that, that just shows the love of what it was. And mind you, that was pre-WWE ESPN being cool. You know, not to toot my own horn, but why not to toot toot? Um, I actually orchestrated something that was kind of unheard of uh, back then. we had all of this sports center stuff and all that things going on. But uh, I set up, because our marketing manager at the time, thank you, Laura, because you were awesome for that, Laura Poppy. Uh, was not really too much into wrestling but she was looking for something to really sink her teeth into to to make her mark at uh, the DC ESPN zone so I said hey Laura wrestling's coming why don't we have an autograph signing it's like well I don't think they're going to be able to do that like don't worry I got the angle pun intended when I said that and that's a direct quote it's like what do you mean he's an Olympian like what yeah, so we're going to have an Olympic athlete come here and sign autographs. Oh, I can make that happen. Next thing you know, Kurt Angle showing up at the ESPN zone at an ESPN entity and bringing WWE into ESPN to do an autograph session, which was pretty awesome. And I got to meet him, one of the coolest dudes in the world. He had just wrote written his book back then. It's true. It's true, and I still have the autographed book to this day that he uh, had signed to my son actually because he wasn't born yet. So uh, he's a wrestling fan because Kurt Angle touched his mom's stomach, and then boom, there you go. You've got a bona fide Olympian sweat. <laughs> hey, gold
0: <laughs> matter with a broken freaking neck.
1: That's right. But, yeah, Kurt Eggle was, was, was awesome, man, uh, to meet and, and talk to and stuff like that on a ride from uh, NCI Center uh, over to the zone. So that, that was a, an amazing moment right there. And that was some, some big times that we had back then, and that just shows the power of persistence and finding a way out of no way and a quote-unquote angle, pun intended, out of any way
0: to make things happen. Now, out of all your moments, I got one moment that you left out. Uh, Now, remember, SmackDown started out as a a special first. Mm -hmm. Uh, I uh, know it was Cornette. I'm trying to remember who the other announcer was. I don't know if it was JR. I can't remember who the other announcer was, but when it started out as a special, it was supposed to have been a one-off, but it was so successful, it wound up becoming a show. and that special the big show had just came over from WCW 26 years old wears a size 50 ring you could pass a silver dollar through his ring he wrestled test that night Mm -hmm. I got a first hand look and I I wasn't really a really huge WCW fan I knew the wrestlers and everything but I didn't really watch a lot of uh, uh, Nitro or nothing like that I didn't watch a lot of WCW Thunder Everything was all about Raw. And then when SmackDown came on, uh, Shotgun Saturday Night and uh, 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 Sunday Night Heat, that's all it was for me. I seen the big show at seven foot one, 500 pounds, um, take an Irish whip from Tess, mm-hmm. duck on the clothesline, and drop kick Tess.
1: Yep. And the height he got on it back then. Was ungodly,
0: my God! Like I, I wish I still I had it on VHS. And I told my mother about it the next day. She said, "You're lying. I don't believe you." I showed it to her. She said, "Oh my gosh! She probably kicked that man. He probably kicked that man hard on his chest." I said, "Mama, I think he did."
1: Yep. And to his basketball times on
0: that one, just that the, the height that 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 right there is one of my favorite SmackDown moments, the from Cornette of like, they weren't expecting, they knew it was coming, but they weren't expecting it to be like that. And it was just so forceful. Mm-hmm. And then <laughs> the big boss man comes in like the vulture he was. And he picks Tess apart. I, I mean, I, I, I was always fascinated that a man that big could be that agile. Could get that type of height on a drop kick yep. and land it perfectly.
1: And look where we've come from that. We have other examples of the Harpers. Uh, Rowan uh, being able to do some amazing moves. Luke uh, being able to do some amazing moves for their size is still ungodly. You can never forego talking about Taker, mm. an old school. I mean, you've got, you know, other great guys like, you know, Bobby Lashley and you just huge, huge beasts <laughs> going out there doing stuff. And then you also have Brock on him breaking his neck when he does the moonsault. But still, <laughs> you tried it.
0: <laughs> but as far as Taker, though, I heard now, I, I, they say it's, it's, you had to be at a live show to see it. And even during his time as a full-time wrestler that he could take you from turnbuckle to turnbuckle and walk the whole entire ring and do old school.
1: Oh, yeah.
0: And it's grainy oh, yeah. shows. Yes, they say it's grainy footage of him doing it. And he walked the entire ring. No stumble. No no nothing. I mean, he walked from post to post. Like, now he's 6'10", 3'10". Like, jeez, man, are, are you crazy? Are, are you serious?
1: And that's one thing I, I missed was when they had a lot more house shows. And I know it sounds crazy because now they go to TV so often. The house, the purpose of the house show, in my opinion, and I strongly believe this is what it was, was to be able to iron out the kinks before the pay-per-view. And that's the best way I'll put it without breaking kayfabe too much. So if you know you went to a house show and you saw a match that was booked and then it ended up being a pay-per-view match, maybe the same match, but it may not go the same way that you saw. It could be a different ending Mm -hmm. or it could be different spots that happen in between. But when you had Raw and then you had house show, house show, house show, house show, house show, Raw again, house show, house show, pay-per-view, that's a lot of time to be able to go through and work out what we're going to do. What did the crowd pop on? What didn't work out so well? What was the flow? You know, this is the first time on televised meeting of X and Y, but X and Y have been meeting several times. So that way, when they met for the first time on TV, that it flowed well and you didn't have what happens sometimes now. You have those breaks in who's calling the shots. So house shows were very important. I know they still have them here or there, but in my opinion, it's not as often because when you had that many house shows, it built uh, a lot more of the story but at the same time pulling back the house shows all gives also gives a superstar a better quality of life as well so it's like one foot in one foot out yeah. but to see those what we call dark matches and, and stuff like that that was happening you really got to see the personality and how the growth of the character would go from that just started in the business to a superstar because you knew what the prototype could do and what John Cena was doing on a dark match or a house show and how he was more than the five moves of doom. But then on TV, you're like, man, I saw him do this. I saw him do that. And once in a while, he may pull a move. Like there it is. People didn't believe he could do that thing. And then the rest of the time, you know, and, and that's what you get. But uh, those were some great times and who knows what may happen. Cause there's so much going on, but, you know, there's a lot of different ways, and I talked about it before not too long ago, that the WWE can evolve to the next level or where they may need to go to get uh, past or, or through to the new generation of kids that like watching other people play games when they have the game at home. You know, those crazy things like that.
0: You know, it's, it's funny you say, you say that about house shows. If you remember, now, for those listening, every one of the sideline junkies, we're gamers. Now, if you remember WWF attitude, when you did a career, no matter who you use, you could use the WWF champion at the time, Stone Cold Steve Austin. You still had to build up when you did a career, and you had to build up and do house shows every week. You would wrestle different people in house shows before you made it to the big leagues where you actually did a role. You may do a Sunday night heat, you know, something like that. Yep. But then it was all incorporated in the game where you had to work your way up. You couldn't just go and be like, you know, I'm on the SmackDown roster. I'm on the Raw roster. Nope, you started off on the little shows. And then on top of that, how many house shows have they had over the course of the last 40, 50 years where titles have changed hands, but they don't count because they weren't on TV? After <laughs> Flair because, uh, uh, yeah, you asked Ric Flair. I mean, he got way... We said it what, last week, two weeks ago? Mm-hmm. He really doesn't have 16 World Championships. He has way more.
1: Yep. Read his book. He'll talk about those uh, other three times that uh, he just had to relinquish it because it didn't fit within the TV, but at the same time, he was still working territories right. as well, so he won the WCW Championship because that's what was booked to have happen. But at the same time, it wasn't, as some people will say now in the movie and TV industry canon, so it had to be rescinded. And then uh, it exists, but it doesn't exist.
0: You know what? I kind of sort of – I miss the days of territorial wrestling just for that because you got a little something in, you know, different parts of the country. You can have a wrestler that wrestled over in this territory today – and then he goes out to the Midwestern and wrestles, and he's a heel out there, but he's a face here. And then he goes, you know, down South and he's a tag team champion down there, you know, just depending on what it was and what they had him doing. And I kind of sort of missed that. And I thought that Vince was actually going to go back a little bit to territory where, you know, he broke it up that way, but we got to thank him for what he's done with, uh, taking everything and making it global
1: yeah this was ahead of the curve because he realized that technology and it still is is preventing that from being the case because in the scenario that you just talked about about a guy being a heel on the west coast and a face on the east coast only was possible because the internet was dialed up and that information was only traded through tapes or magazines And that was 30 days behind. So you didn't have that immediate, let me Wikipedia it, Mm -hmm. or Google it, or somebody just posted the video on YouTube of what just happened here. And then there, you had time in between. And now everything is so instant. You can't fly over there and be a heel and cut uh, a heel moment and then turn right around and become a face the next day and act like it never happened it has to be a break or clear understanding of the lines of kayfabe is rubbing across for the right reason. And that's how they justify it, you know, or it has to be a a work or a swerve or something like that in order for it to make sense and then to be able to still go back. Cause sometimes you'll see WWE like a fisherman throw the, the, the the lure out there just to see what bites, But then if it takes too long for the bite, they'll zip that thing right back and that storyline's gone so fast. Right. So one moment you look like you got something and then boop is out.
0: uh Uh-huh. Like it never happened.
1: Yeah, instant gratification is where we are now. And unfortunately, they they are struggling to decide whether or not to give these young kids that are growing up the long builds, which NXT does a great job, but now on the main roster, of doing the long builds of two, three, Maybe four months of a long build of these storylines, when everybody wants to, you know, how many times are you going to drop the title? You know, remember we went from Triple H having a title run, or it took him three or four months to get the belt, and then he kept the belt for a while. To now, drop the title, win a title, drop the title, win a title, drop the title, win a title. My <laughs> like, god, dang! You can't really say, you know, like, yeah, I'm, you know, 14, 15-time world champion. Like, yeah, you won five of them in the course of a year.
0: Yeah, and that is Rich true.
1: Blair, 16-time world champion, booked. How many years was that? You know, he had the belt for six, seven months, lost it once, got the belt back seven, eight more months again, mm-hmm. <laughs> traveling. So it's, it's, part of it is, is the people and the, the, the fans, on what we're reacting to. And I blame also, even in the video game industry, social media as much because they waste so much of the comments on what's going on based off of the Twitters and uh, the, the, the Facebooks and the Instagrams, and, you know, opposed to just sticking with the, the formula of let's ride it out and see what happens. And then if it fails, okay, but we tried it, you know, and sometimes you have the applause of, you know, people giving those visionaries, that opportunity, which happened in TNA more recently, uh, with Matt Hardy, and uh, Jeff Hardy, and all the stuff that happened at the Hardy compound, with uh, the ultimate deletion and stuff, giving them that avenue, which was groundbreaking in itself and crazy to watch. But at the same time, we just saw that happen again in WWE, because they wanted to have that for themselves as well. So... You know, it's going to be interesting to see. But like I said, there has to be a new evolution of either rescinding and pulling back and going back to kayfabe a lot, and really keeping some stuff close to the vest, and 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 really building because you have your own network, building these storylines and building these opportunities and building these characters, uh, versus also at the same time going out and and finding a way to give the instant gratification, but at the same time not insulting the fans to where they're like, oh, you know, it's the same storyline we saw a year ago from these other two. We know how it's going to end, so I can just DVR it. Mm -hmm. Water cooler conversation has to come back into the fold immediately on Tuesday morning, immediately on Wednesday morning, immediately after pay-per-view on Monday morning. The Raw after WrestleMania should be Raw every week. The Raw after a pay-per-view or SmackDown after the pay-per-view needs to be that every week. And it's hard to do, but at the same time, that focus has to be there. And you may have to say, look, I know USA. I know you guys want us to be this, but we're going to have to start pushing that envelope a little bit more because you also have on your network other shows that are beyond that ne- that level. I mean, Law & Order is, for you love show to show the death but at the same time we're covering some serious stuff and you showing law and order a lot mm. but yet we can't go ham every <laughs> from you
0: know nine in the morning to uh, seven at night but uh I love that marathon but um yeah that's true and that's my rant for the night there you go <laughs> but I agree with you wholeheartedly i I I grew up in the golden era. You know, your you, you Hogan's, your Macho Mans, and Ultimate Warriors and everything. And, you know, everything was pretty much, you know, you were locked in, but you didn't know what was real and what was not. I remember when uh, the Road Warriors took a spike out of their shoulder pad and poked somebody in the eye. I thought that was real. Mm-hmm. You know, I had debates with my big sister and my cousin about how real it was. And they, we were just talking about at the dinner table, just, you know, how that could happen, how long it's going to take them to recover. Go back to that where it's so believable that you, you, you got a question like, is this real?
1: I'm going to blow your mind with this and then we'll get close to wrapping up. WWE at this moment is parallel in, in concept and, and opportunity and needing to evolve old versus new as the rap game and hip hop is the same way. Mm. So think about that, you know, for a moment. We're talking about the golden era of, of large, larger than live, great builds and great opportunities. And you had these one WWE side characters and stuff. Whereas on a hip hop rap game side, we had run DMCs and LL Cool Jays and these larger than live Biggies and Tupacs. And now, you know, th- that music stands the test of time. You could pop in all eyes on me and you're good. Mm. <laughs> BC boys came up, you know, the other day on uh, the radio. I turned that mess up. You know, Sabotage was my jam back in the day, man. It's like, <laughs> you know, them three white boys are putting it in. Brass monkey. But now, oh yeah, come on now. Uh, but now, what we're listening to now, 30 years from now, what the hell? And I'm not... Saying anything bad, but I mean, you know, I would, back then we were joking about Puffy dancing in videos, but it made sense. Now I was like, man, my man Puffy was all over the place, man. How are you? Fifteen videos on jukebox, fifteen videos on MTV, just da- uh huh. Yeah, take that, take that, boy, Every 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 video got Puffy in it. Really, Puff? Get it in, man. But now, you know, I don't know. But they're in my opinion, they're in the same parallel boat. A boat of needing to evolve for what's going to be the narrative 20 years from now because everybody is older. You know, Taker is not too far away, Brock, not too far away, you know, Cena, not too far away from retirement. All is, the old regime is on their way out. Who in the hell is going to be the one that's going to carry the torch besides AJ Styles? to go the next 20. And that's where that, the evolution has to come from. The women are going to feel part of that, but the men doesn't have enough strength. Like the women, because it's still fresh, it's still new. There's so much that can be done that can grow, you know, to, to make more moolahs, to make more um Mae Youngs, to make more ivories, and, and stuff like Jacquelines and, and, and icons and Trish Stratus and leaders, you know, there's a lot more that can be grown from that because it's still young is the best way to put it for where we are now in the evolution. But for the men, AJ Styles, we know is good. Um, I'd say Samoa Joe, we know is good. He's still got some more that he can offer. Bray Wyatt, 100% is good. Bo Dallas. I know that sounds crazy. has a lot of potential that's good. Still waiting for the untapped potential of Dolph Ziggler under the right circumstances. He can be good. But then we start having some other areas we need to plug in. I'd throw Jinder Mahal, I think, still has a big run. If he can get the right opportunity to become that Iron Sheikish type of character and that super heel, Kevin Owens can transcend a little bit more. Um, Sami Zayn has the opportunity to transcend a little bit more. But we need to start establishing these superstars through proper longevity builds that is going to replace the John Cena internationally because there's nobody that can do it on Cena's level right now in the WWE with the exception of one character, but he's healed majority of the time, in my opinion, in reference to talking and that's the Miz, but he's so engrossed in the heeldom, It's kind of hard to separate that and a face Miz is not that good. I'm sorry. Not at all. <laughs> so it's kind of weird, you know, but Cena's on his way out. Somebody's got to fill the void immediately to replace Cena because you had The Rock, then you had Cena. So it, it you didn't miss a step. We're missing a step now. And I don't know if that makes sense, and that's the best way I can explain it, but we're missing a step. Somebody's got to put their stamp on it and step up with any type of ruthless aggression, throwing it back to Cena. And hopefully we'll see that in the next SmackDown. I'm happy that Ray Mysterio is coming back as well. But we need somebody to fill that void immediately and transcend the business at a level with that that Cena level is what I'll call it now, a Cena level of commitment from, you know, the, the, the show, as well as the, the, the media, aspect and, and opportunity because it's all great publicity that Cena has brought to the WWE and everything he's done because he's taken WWE with him every time opposed to the Rock separating himself uh, and became Dwayne a while versus, you know, the Rock and now he's like, I'm the Rock. Yeah. Let's that's, that's just be that. <laughs> you know, so I don't know. That's two ranch You got two and a half rants out of me today, but
0: uh, yeah, all right, we'll I see. get before we get out of here, I got to get you on the hot seat real quick because this has been a burning question for quite some time.
1: Torch my butt.
0: All right. In your honest, smart mark opinion, do you think that the WWE will ever allow China and Chris Benoit into the Hall of Fame?
1: China will go before Benoit. Remember, at this moment, Two things is happening on the Hall of Fame. One, they're running out of people to induct at a high level. Two, the Hall of Fame is another mode of selling out an arena. So those two things have to go in conjunction for there to be um, a worthwhile introduction. And if you go back and look at all the superstars that have been inducted, You're like, oh, man, I got to see. Oh, man, I got to see what they say. Oh, man, I got to see what they say. This year, I'm up to the point to where it's like, who the hell is going to be the headliner that I would want to watch on a Friday night since NXT is now on Saturday? Who am I going to want to rush home to watch get inducted? I mean, Goldberg has happened. You know, Eric Bischoff, maybe. But we're running out of people. So China will go in. China will go in one of two ways. If China goes in individually, Triple H and Shawn Michaels will induct her together. And that's how they'll just let it happen. If she goes in individually, she will go in because of the women's evolution and a woman will induct her. And then Shawn Michaels or Triple H will come out and, and talk about her and 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 if her family or dad and mom are still alive, you know. Thank them for allowing their daughter to go out and and become a part of it and then have that be the China character for Benoit to go in. it would have to be so heavily censored and quick because the Benoit character for ECW, WCW and WWF uh, and parts of WWE was amazing. But they can only focus on a character, which is why we have that blurb at the beginning of every show on a WWE network or every video feed that this is all about the character and, you know, WWE characters da, 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 that legal legalese that remove them from, okay, this person was a little bit crazy and did something bad, you know, or this person uh, had some spousal abuse and did something bad. We're only talking about characters. You know, that's why I could talk about Hulk Hogan being one of my icons and idols and, you know, drove me and had him as number one on my list. But a human, Terry Boea, I don't know that guy. <laughs> I only know the holster. That's the only person I can relate to is Hulk Hogan, the character. Hulk Hogan, the character, was on Thunder in Paradise. Hulk Hogan, the character, was on Three Ninjas 1, 2, and 3. Hulk Hogan, the character, had his own cartoon show. You know Hulk Hogan, a character, has his own surf shop. Hulk Hogan, a character, is doing an NWO tour. The other guy is on. Uh, you know, I don't know who the hell that is. <laughs> so that's that's how that would happen. But Benoit probably never. Who else needs to go in if they can make it happen this year? And I would want to see that. And we talked about it before. Would be Owen Hart. Yes. If Owen goes in. You sell out the arena, and you have the whole hours worth of time allotted for owen hart induction then you have other people but owen needs to go in way before benoit so i like, think i said man I, so- i'm drawing straws that's trying to figure out who the heck is going to be inducted into the hall of fame this year I, The dudley's was a, a big one i don't know maybe i don't know man
0: owen hart should be should go in by himself that should be one show right there, because guess what? You'll fill up three and a half, four hours a time of just friends, family, just telling stories about him and oh, yeah. just the type of person he, he, he was.
1: Yep. And that's going to give you the, the demographic that they need to get back, which is the 30, 40 and 50 year old male demographic to, to come back and relive some of that stuff and to subscribe to the network. That's where we really need to, to get that because that demographic has the kid demographic that's playing Fortnite. That kid demographic is the one that's going to be interested in the video game after they see some of the stuff that happens. Because so that's the other tie-in that comes off of the Hall of Fame. He who is in the Hall of Fame induction headliner is he who is also included into the game in either the trailer promotion or the, the, the DLC or something like that. So those things are also tied into the hall of fame as well. So it's almost like it's his own entity, uh, a business uh, aspect of WWE programming and and bottom line as well. So that's just a little icing on the cake on WrestleMania weekend. That is is tied into that period because the arena that they're selling out nine out of 10 is a raw arena. So all they're doing is just changing the set and then holding that over for a day. And there you go. Yeah. And sure. then that doubles again into SmackDown as well. And NXT is also there. So it, it's, they get this money's worth out of that venue at that point. But I would love to see both. But, yeah, China's going to go in either as part of DX, which if they do DX as a group, that's how the other members get into the Hall of Fame, X-Pac, and everybody else. Uh, instead for of for throwing for for- it, yeah, instead of throwing them individually.
0: but. Hey. If you put DX in and you don't put Rick Rude in with DX, we got a problem. He was the insurance partner. I agree. I agree. I agree.
1: But so. then also they could throw the entirety of the NWO in there as well, even though a lot of them wouldn't be, you know, allowed to be on stage and stuff like that and part <laughs> you know. of it. But Scott Norton and Buff Bagwell. <laughs> uh, you got Virgil. Virgil deserves a ring. Oh my
0: goodness. It's a lot to go in when you talk about NWO. That's like three quarters of the old WCW roster. Mm-hmm. All right. Oh my goodness. As always, an amazing show. And you brought back a lot of memories. I tell you that.
1: Thank you guys for staying with us. I know it's a longer show, but thousand episodes of SmackDown, a lot of opportunity, a lot of memories. Anytime you go down memory lane, like we just went down. Uh, for those that experienced that live and living Technicolor, you know, it's going to take a while.
0: Well, that's all the time your tag team champions got tonight. Sideline Junkers will be right back at it again tomorrow morning. We're going to get that show out early. We're not going to do like we did last. We can wait till 1245 because uh, of me. I'm, I'm not holding up the show this week. So we'll be back with our picks for football for the, the week. Week six. Jeez. So, once again, thank you to the smart mark himself, the Don. Yeah. Uh, hey, everybody have a safe night. Good night. And me, BJ, Jim, Junie, Delante, and maybe we might even get a little Gary. We'll see y'all uh, tomorrow morning. And Don, I will... Of course, I'll be in contact with you during the week, but we'll be back on again next Saturday.
1: Absolutely. We got a lot to talk about then. Crown Jewel is right around the corner. Uh, Evolution's right around the corner. Reactions of SmackDown, 1,000. Uh, There's a lot to talk about. New Japan. I mean, there's so much moving and shaking going on. So we'll be back to our regular normal crazy next week.
0: Cool beans. All right. So with that being said, good night from the Sideline Junkies.
1: My night.